0: hear me? I have my jacket on. I'll take my jacket off. Uh, There we go. What does the sign say? Okay, one one more time all together. One, two, three. So I'm Martin. I took this photo about three years ago, a little over three years ago, in a place called uh, Cypress Hills Interprovincial Park in Saskatchewan. and may become clear later what it means. I hope it does. Raise your hand if you in your life have ever been hurried. Okay, Uh, there's some people who aren't raising their hand, I'm impressed. Um, For those of you who raised your hand, second question, did it make your life better? Now this sounds like a rhetorical question, I am kind of leading you on, but I am curious if, if any of you who have been hurried in your life, feel like it makes your life better, raise your hand. Okay, sometimes it saves you embarrassment. Okay. Sometimes it helps you catch a flight. I've been there. You've been there. A lot of times I would say it doesn't, at least in my life. I think it's rare that rushing and hurrying makes life better, Um, and I I think it's often rare, actually, that it makes life faster. It just gives us an illusion of of being more efficient or getting there sooner. Often, trying to drive quickly saves you, like, a minute. Very little time, actually. Uh, But it's very difficult, even if we recognize that rushing isn't good for us, it's very difficult to simply wake up one morning and say, I'm not going to rush anymore, I'm going, to stop, I'm going to stop being anxious. I'm going to stop worrying. I'm going to stop hurrying. I'm not going to be addicted to my phone. Where did I put it? I'm not going to be addicted to that anymore. I'll have more time and I'll be more present with the people around me. It doesn't work like that. We can't go from 60 to 0 in 3.5. Now our pastor, Andrew also wearing a plaid shirt, um, has invited us to consider here at St. John Vineyard a season of servanthood in a slower, smaller way. Is that about right? Okay, good. Um, So as he mentioned, as the teaching team were considering this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and the book identifies several practices that guide us towards actually eliminating hurry in our life rather than trying to snap our fingers one morning and just change. The practice I'm highlighting is silence and solitude, taking time to stop speaking and stop surrounding yourself with noise and with people. I get the irony of speaking to you about silence and talking about solitude in a group setting, but there's no other way this morning. Now, silence and solitude would be useful practices even if this wasn't a church. If This had nothing to do with Jesus. I think we can agree that uh, there's a lot of noise in our world. Uh, It's a very distracted place. And silence and solitude, any practice that could help center us and push a bit of that noisy uh, advertising out of our lives, I think would be a good thing. Any of you find it hard to focus? You can raise your hand again. Okay. Do um, You find yourself checking your phone a lot? Anyone check their phone frequently? Okay. In like half the room. I don't believe you guys. But anyways, um, those of us who are Christians, though, in this church setting, we actually have uh, a different reason or an additional reason to practice silence and solitude. Um, We, as God's people, practice silence and solitude to create space for God to enter, i.e. we're not just emptying ourselves to empty ourselves, we're trying to create space for God to enter. Solitude allows Christ to fill our emptiness and to meet us in our loneliness. Silence allows the Holy Spirit to speak to us, for us to hear when he speaks to us. In silence and solitude, we are allowing our souls to be shepherded. So Our first passage from the Bible is in the Old Testament. It's from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, verses 11 to 15. It's not going to be up on the screen. I don't think too many of you have Bibles, so you can just listen. I'll read it out. Ezekiel 34, 11 to 15. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land, I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. Our second passage is from the New Testament, from the book of Mark, chapter 6, starting at verse 30 and going to verse 46, Mark 6, 30 to 46. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. In the first passage in Ezekiel, the writer prophesies about sheep. But he doesn't really mean sheep. What does he mean? People. See, we humans are really very much like sheep. This is a common, repeated theme in scripture that we are like sheep. We are the livestock at large. Uh, And we need a voice to follow, otherwise we get caught in thickets of distraction, anxiety, panic, shopping, phone checking, butting heads and locking horns with our neighbors. We wander in a wilderness of noise, inside our own heads and all around us. And if you don't believe me, Go check Twitter right now, except don't. Please don't do that. The first thing we see in the passage from Mark is Jesus attempting to create a space of reprieve and rest for himself and his disciples. They're all tired. But he has to postpone it. And I guess the question would be why. I mean, obviously the crowd is there, but he could send them away right away and actually get the rest and reprieve that he and his disciples need in that moment. But Jesus takes compassion on them. Why? Because they're like sheep without a shepherd, and because he's seizing an opportunity here to paint a picture of who he really is and the kind of rest, the kind of reprieve, the kind of peace that he brings in a much bigger way than simply... uh, an hour or two of quiet retreat. Jesus is enacting himself in the role of the Good Shepherd from Ezekiel. That's why we have this, you know, this mountainside and the green grass. Mark makes sure to mention all of these things. He makes sure to quote Jesus saying, they're like sheep without a shepherd. He's referring to a picture of a good shepherd, that picture from Ezekiel. Now that That Ezekiel passage is a prophecy, but it also refers to King David in the the time that that prophecy was given. And King David is the author of possibly the most famous passage of Scripture, which is Psalm 23. Now, what are the first five words of Psalm 23? I'm sure someone here knows Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. So it's interesting that in Ezekiel, King David is presented as the good shepherd, and yet even he writes, the Lord is my shepherd. And what does he write as the result of having the Lord as your shepherd? I shall not want, I lack nothing, says. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. he continues. David wrote many psalms, and in many of them he's quite upset, and he's often crying out Speaking, shouting, shaking his fist at his enemies, and possibly at a God who he feels is absent. Why have you forsaken me, God? Things like that. But here in Psalm 23, we see a different picture, don't we? We see peace and freedom and contentment because the Lord is his shepherd in that moment present in that moment. And we read something else. We hear something else in Psalm 23. As opposed to the speaking and shouting and shaking his fist, David says nothing in Psalm 23. He's simply being. He's being a sheep listening to the shepherd. Silence and solitude for the Christian are about making that space to be a sheep again. Because we are livestock at large. We're going to wander. We're going to get distracted. We're going to end up stuck somewhere. We don't want to be going, bah, bah, bah. We need silence and solitude to create a space in our hearts to remember that we're sheep and to remember that God is our good shepherd, that Jesus is the one we follow, whose voice we listen to, and that when he is our shepherd, we have, even if we don't feel it, we have the things in Psalm 23 that King David says are true. with the Lord as your shepherd, you are free, you are at home, you lack nothing, you can lie down and rest. So my question today is, is there any space in your life for Jesus, the Good Shepherd, to speak to you, to call you? Are you ever silent long enough to hear the Holy Spirit. I'm not trying to be judgmental or vindictive to you. I know maybe many of you are answering similar to my answer, which is there's not very much space. I don't create very much space for that. But I think the picture of life as a sheep, the way it's meant to be, is an appealing one. And I do think that we access that, or we grab hold of that, we can eliminate hurry by practicing silence and solitude. So practically speaking, it means taking some time for it. You you do have to actually create some time. Or set aside some time. You don't create time, but you can set aside some time. You can start with one minute if you need to. More is, more is better, but start with what you can. Um, you know, a, a full retreat, multi-day thing might be very rewarding, but it might not be practical for you. Uh, it might be out of reach for you. But perhaps you can go out to uh, a park or a patch of woods, find a bench, sit down, a green hill, some green grass, or soon... Uh, Patch of snow that looks comfortable, um, or you could maybe find a a room and a and a time when you're not likely to be disturbed, and basically enter enter a space of some sort. Leave the race behind. If you can leave your phone behind, that's good. You can leave distractions behind. Don't don't bring lots of podcasts and books and things to add more content to your brain with you. That's not the point of this time. You might want to listen to a little bit of music to just focus yourself. Settle into the space, if that's helpful for you. Uh, And you might bring a pad of paper and a pen just to kind of jot down stuff as it comes to you. I find often when I try to enter a a space of silence, I, I think of stuff that I have to do (laughs) that has been in the back of my head and I've forgotten and it's coming out now because I'm actually creating space for my own brain to breathe and it's more helpful if I just write that down and it's kind of out of my head um, but I haven't forgotten it again Uh, but keep distractions and content to a minimum if you can Um, maybe you light a candle or something to kind of have a focal point there's lots of ways to do it. And then as best you can, uh, when you've tried to empty your brain a little bit, maybe notice your thoughts for a little while, and then invite God to speak to you and say something like, you know, God, I'm a, I'm a sheep, and you're my shepherd, and I need to hear your voice to be led to a good place today. So we're going to try it out. We can't do solitude, um, at least not really, in the group like this. But we can do a a bit of silence. I'm going to structure it as follows. So I will get my guitar out in a moment here and play, I don't know, maybe two minutes. Uh, And then I'll leave a, a stretch of silence, maybe five minutes. Might feel pretty awkward? I don't know. Uh, And it might not be enough for you to even clear your own mind of of the kind of thoughts that pop up. So if you don't even get to the point where you can say to God, okay, I'm settled now and I invite you to speak to me. If if you don't get there, that's okay. Uh, But just know that that's an indication that you need this. So music, stretch of silence, and then to end our silence, I'll play a little bit more guitar. And at that point, you're all going to get up and leave this side from this door and this side from this door, and nobody's going to say anything. You're going to be silent as you go. I mean, I, I'm not going to enforce that, but please, leave in, in silence. You can chat out in the parking lot if you need to. Does so that make sense? Guitar, silence. Guitar, get up and leave quietly. You can nod if that makes sense to you.